thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizen civs, captains, and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 125 of the Best Damn Space Sim podcast ever, and is recorded on Friday, June 17th, and made available for download Tuesday, June 21st, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Tony. And I'm Lennon. Well, Lennon, what do we have this week? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we take a look at why we shouldn't be messing with the blockchain just yet. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favourite space sims as we cover more coverage of Star Citizen's 2.4 patch and the Drake Dragonfly. Tweaks to the engineers and a call for tourist destinations as passenger gameplay will come in Elite Dangerous 2.2. And a quick report on the trouble from the land down under in Descent Underground. Next, we debate grey markets, and finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Hey, you boys, need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. Uh, the blockchain, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Wreck. A-U-E-C, the future of money is now. Or so futurists, venture capitalists, and internet shills everywhere would like you to believe. But there are still some bugs to be worked out. For example, this week, somebody went and stole 3.5 million Ether coins. Now, aside from naming your currency after something intangible, undetectable, and incapable of interaction with the real world, Watching the real-world value of a new medium exchange plummet as $50 million vanishes into the, well, the ether, uh, that can't be a good headline for any startup. Now, while the culprits are still on the lam, the victim has come forward. It is the DAO, or the DAO, or the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Okay, stop it right there. We've got an intangible currency lost by a zen-sounding group, which is an acronym for something that feels like Skynet's creepy uncle's golfing buddies. Where's a nimrod when you need it? Anyway, never fear, because it's the future. And in the future, just like in the past, the bank robbers won't get far before the sheriff rounds up a posse, mounts his trusty steed, and rides into the range to run those varmints to the ground. Only here in the future, the blockchain's developers uh, had a conference call, decided to suspend trading and redemption, isolate the stolen coins into a daughter exchange, patch the security flaw, and roll back all the trades since the theft. So, yeah. So things are a little more boring here in the future, but at least we have silver pants. Uh, On the other hand, we could all get in on the ground floor of another innovative startup called Intherum. It's a fascinating new technology aimed at creating an ultra-centralized, Turing-incomplete, arbitrary trust application economy. Yeah, I really can't improve on the concept with my own writing, so I'll simply quote from their website. Quote, Our applications allow people all over the world to conduct transactions by placing their trust in one man, Bob. Bob controls a worldwide public record of all transactions and is provably arbitrary. We call this record the Bob Chain. The only limit on what you can do with Ethereum is Bob himself. The Bob chain is nothing more than a man in a room maintaining the state of the Ethereum network with a number two pencil technology. New transactions come in and Bob records them. Questions about the state of a transaction go to Bob as well. He responds when he can or doesn't. Bob is chained in a room to ensure maximum uptime of the Ethereum network. We briefly considered a more arbitrary model where humans with large computers that waste energy, control wealth, and ensure trust but then we met Bob, and he seemed cool and willing to do it. End quote. I love this concept, but I wonder if Bob is wearing silver pants. Tony, I really think that you've been watching too much John Wayne and Aliens from Space <laughs> movies this week. <laughs> no, you kidding, man? That's the way it was in the old days. Somebody robs the bank, you run up a posse, and you ride him down. Now, don't forget that, that back in the 90s, we had another, uh, probably the same Bob, to tell you the truth... I don't want Bob touching my uh, transactions. Thank you very much. What did Bob? What did Bob touch, Jeff? <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> I was gonna say, is this something that we have to reveal live on air? Because yeah. show me on your bank account where Bob touched you. <laughs> <laughs> 
You don't remember Microsoft Bob? No. Microsoft Bob. Oh, my yeah, God. Very, very few people would. Oh, man. Okay, Jeff. All right. This is this is why we have you here, Jeff. Do you remember these ancient, the ancient times? Back in the old days, back before computers, you know, were on the internet. So, oh, so my, tell us about this was Bob. definitely on the internet. Okay. Microsoft okay, Bob was a Microsoft product that was released in 1995 and discontinued in 96. The program was intended to provide a more user-friendly interface for the Windows 3.1 and Windows 95 operating systems. Bob presented screens showing a house and rooms containing familiar objects corresponding to computer applications uh, like uh, a desk with a pen and paper or a checkbook or other items. Clicking a pen and paper would open a word processor, for example. This is getting really meta. We're getting into the ether here. So it was a graphical user interface designed to simulate a virtual reality in which people would interact with physical objects on the screen to do take care of tasks on the computer. Exactly. Mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> No, I like this. I really do think, I'm pretty sure, that Microsoft Bob has been active on the internet. Because those are the early days of the internet, right? 95, 96, the world, early days of WWW, the uh, World Wide Web. So I think what happened is what he escaped into the internet. And his uh, he is Skynet now. And he's the one that pulled this heist. He's amassing real-world wealth to take over. Bob is on the loose. Pretty sure. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Then get taken home with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for June 17, 2016. 115,597,000 of about 500,000. 1.4 million registered accounts of about 4,200. And 995,000 ships in the UEE fleet up about 10,200. And I bet we'll be awfully close to breaking a million either uh, this time next week uh, or maybe sooner. And speaking of Star Citizen, CIG discourteously made 2.4 live just before the showtime last week, so we weren't able to give it the proper amount of attention that it truly deserved. But hey, you know, we've had a week since then, so we've taken a look at it, and we're going to give you a brief rundown. All the new features we've been discussing through the PTU leaks and testimony are present, including persistence, in-game alpha UEC currency, missions to earn said currency, and the flyable Starfarer. As promised, the flyable Starfarer is accompanied by the ship going on sale again at $300 for the base model and $340 for the military Gemini variant. CIG also put the Reliant Core base model on sale again for $65. For those wondering how that relates to the Starfarer or 2.4 being released, the answer is that the Reliant is hangar ready, and so anybody who purchased the Reliant or any of the variants can now peruse the Core version in their hangars. In addition to the ship, CIG has released a new weapon, the Amon and Reist Pryoburst. It is a, essentially a ship-mounted plasma shotgun and is recommended for use in turrets or in fighters who want to engage in hit-and-run combat. For this release, CIG seems to have spent quite some time remapping default control schemes once again. This time their focus was on trying to make the transition from flying to on-ground FPS controls to six degrees of freedom, null gravity controls a little more consistent. So, you know, the axis a player uses for looking around doesn't suddenly become the axis that determines the direction they move with their thrusters. They put their QA team through a lot of angst, but they wrote up a very lengthy justification for their thinking and decisions. Uh, predictably, it took about an hour before someone commented on the announcement saying the new control scheme had actually been determined at random and that the new mappings were, quote, god-awful. Note that there has been a warning off of the RSI homepage since launch, citing, quote, difficulty logging in or unexpected in-game behavior, such as duplicated or wrong inventory or loadouts, end quote. As always, they ask for patience as the devs diagnose issues and remind everyone that despite the amount of features available, the whole thing is still an alpha product. And after much speculation and clamoring by the community, it's finally here. The Drake Dragonfly has been revealed to the public, and it's a space motorcycle. Note, really, the pilot essentially sits straddling the main engine and steers via a control bar. There are two smaller maneuvering pods sticking off the back and some larger maneuvering and VTOL pylons coming out of the front. There's no canopy or hull to speak of, really. This ship is classed as an ultralight, meaning it shares a niche with the Merlin and the Archimedes classes. As such, you can stick this ship into any other ship with enough room to fit it. Drake, naturally, suggests putting it inside the Caterpillar. 
You're going to need to do that if you want to use it over a wide area. The ship has no quantum drive, and while it can operate on planet or in space, it cannot take the transition from one to the other. Well, the Dragonfly can, but the pilot and the crew, not so much. And yes, this thing can have a crew. Just like most terrestrial motorcycles, you can have a rear seat rider, though their jobs are basically limited to either firing a handheld weapon or immediately jumping off the ship and trying to board whatever craft they encounter or just giving you a big hug in the middle. The pilot, meanwhile, can get into a scrap with two fixed S1 weapon mounts. It's currently on sale for $35 United States. Uh, note from the producer, insert metric conversion joke here. I'm drawing a blank. Um, but there are package deals aplenty. Uh, a bright yellow painted version is available for no extra charge, and for $60 you can buy two of them, one standard black and one in the screaming bright yellow. Since they make such a big deal about putting dragonflies in the Caterpillar, well, that ship's also on sale. You can pick one up for 245 bucks, or drop a cool 300 and walk away with the Caterpillar and both dragonflies, the black and the yellow. As an aside, Interesting note, the caveats and warnings about what the sale is and where the money goes is now four paragraphs long. Got tighten up on the legalese there. There's some people watching very closely. Yeah, because there was actually a change in the terms of service, wasn't there, with the latest patch, uh, with the latest Indeed. launcher that came out. Um, so that makes it Indeed. version 3 that we're now on? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, another, it's another thing. Click here if you want to have any goodies. That's that's a, a the the fancy technical legal term for that is called a contract of adhesion. Ah, okay. I went to law school to learn that. Oh yeah. Well, I'm it's I'm glad you're finally putting your law degree to good use, sir. Yeah, pretty much. I don't do anything. Else um, can we get back to the topic on here? Oh, sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> so does does this seem like another useless little ship that they're selling just to make a little quick bit of cash? Mm, isn't that what all the ships are? Oh, I'm sorry. No. No, actually, I kind of get a Mad Max vibe from this exactly thing, what I was right? going to say. Yeah, yeah, you're with me on this. Yeah. So you got you got like a whole you got a hole full of these uh, little motorcycle thingies. They pop open. Ten or twelve hopped up desperate vaqueros pop out of this thing, and uh, they swarm a ship and board it, and they slice open uh, the hull and and plunder the ship. I mean, I kind of I kind of dig it. I kind of dig it, uh, and it's quite affordable. At only $35 US, you could buy two. It is, and uh, the other thing that I was thinking is that I, I really hope that once it's actually in the game, as you're flying along, like much like you get sort of real big sort of... Uh, this is going to show my real lack of manliness here because I, I genuinely have no idea what I'm talking about, the real-world equivalent, motorcycles. But, like, you get those, like, real big, beefy, low-rider types that have the real, like, loud engine noises as you, as you, fly, uh, as you fly along. Well, uh, as you drive along, you fly along the highway. Yeah, sure. exactly. Fly along at seventy miles an hour. Um, so I really hope that, like, when you're in the Dragonfly, that it has like that real deep, bassy, growly, dirty engine noise coming from it. Mainly because I've got Sons of Anarchy fantasies that I pretty much want to live in space now. So, <laughs> yeah, but yellow Absolutely. and black. I mean, come on. I think they were thinking about a bumblebee or a, or a wasp. It's a dragonfly. Here. I mean, mm. where, where's the iridescent green. purple and the yeah. you know teal yeah. colors that that dragonfly yeah. wings usually have? Yeah. Well, luckily, Jeff, oh, they will sell you a paint skin once you get in the probably. game for just an additional five dollars. You, you know. Yeah, probably, probably so. Uh, what was the other thing? Uh, the control mappings. I was going to talk about. Has anybody oh, right. played with the uh, control mappings since? No, I haven't played since uh, since. PT, uh, PTU. So this right, was okay. a new. Up, obviously, this was a new update during the the PT uh, from from PTU to uh, live. Yeah, I mean, the good news is if you do play it and you don't like the new control scheme, they do have a legacy mode option, which will switch it back to the previous layout that everybody's familiar with. But the new one, I can I can see the the whole because there's quite a lot of change with it um certain keys don't react the way that they used to and if you've gotten used to playing arena commander or the planet side module or uh, the mini persistent universe then yes you are going to have to relearn the controls but once you actually get used to them i i think personally that they are a lot better now that they're all more unified and you don't have to remember like even though yeah, your muscles naturally remember where to go when you're on planet side or when you're in space. With the new control scheme, it's just even more unified. It just makes that transition a lot slicker, in my opinion. But, you know, that's the good thing about opinion. They're like noses. Everybody at least has one. 
just going back to the controls briefly it's like you know wasd now for example whereas before it used to like you could set it up to your to throttle up throttle down and pitch left and pitch right now when you're on foot and when you are in space it kind of does exactly the same movement so you've got like your forward backwards left and right in terms of strafing uh, rather than barrel rolls etc but no if, if, if you if you guys out there haven't had a chance to try it and play with the new control scheme yet i would recommend it even if it's just that you know you hate it and again you know star citizen is an alpha any feedback that you can give is good feedback so if you don't like it let them know here's the thing every space sim or anything that's flight everything i just always basically map everything back to what i had on x-wing versus tie fighter back in you know 1998 my muscles remember how to balance my weapons between shields and engines yeah i agree i i do it with first person shooters i do it with space sims you know WSD is always forward, backward, side to side. Yeah, they can do whatever they want with their default layouts. That's fine. I'll change it the way I want it to be with whatever they have. Yeah, which is the other option. It is completely customizable. So just because they present it one way doesn't mean that you have to keep it that way. And I won't. Good. Because I'm contrary. That's your third nose then, is what you're trying to say. (laughs) Um, The other option, of course, is just get yourself something like a Steam controller and uh, you'll be fine. doesn't even matter. Hey, I got a a Warthog, so what do I care, right? (laughs) Exactly my point. See, superior control methods always outrank superior input methods. Yeah, we we probably shouldn't get into the whole controller fight thing. (laughs) Again. Again. This week, Elite Dangerous saw a small patch to the engineers with a promise of more to come. First off, engineer bases now have local news articles available. These list location of where materials relevant to the engineer modifications can be found. To further reduce some of the difficulties players have had around material collection, inventory for those items have been increased from 600 to 1,000 and up to 500 units of data can now be stored, increasing from 200. Secondly, unlocking certain engineers have been simplified with a total quality of rare goods needed reduced to 50 tons. Along with this, rare goods availability has been slightly improved, though system states will also affect this. While no details have been given, Frontier noted that another live update like this will be coming soon, including some changes and fixes requested via community feedback. Fans of the Orca passenger liner may be excited for the latest news regarding the update 2.2, which will bring passenger gameplay to Elite, including tourism. As part of the preparation for this new feature, a contest is running in which commanders can submit a location along with a screenshot and their name for possible inclusion as a future tourist destination. Winners will get to write a tourist guide style entry and have their commander name featured in the description for the location in-game. Upcoming weeks promise more information about 2.2, which some speculate may not be that far off despite the delays that we had leading up to the launch of the Engineers. So, I had a discussion with Elliot the other night, our our senior executive Grand Poobah guy, as we were playing, and he put a post on our little Google group, and I really, really liked this analysis with all these changes that are going on with the Engineers and tweaking amounts and things like that. Essentially, his analysis was that They've increased the level cap with the engineers. This is Elite's version of bumping us from 50 to 60. Right. So if you already had a souped-up anaconda and hundreds of millions of space bucks in the bank, now all of a sudden you have new quests you have to do in order to have the max level gear and be super uber. And people like me, who eh, I'm middling, you know, middling range, now feel you know even further behind. <laughs> but you know, it's meant to keep that end game fresh for people who have spent a lot of time in the game. And I think that's a good analysis of what they're doing here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, honestly, if they didn't keep the end game fresh, the whole analogy of the lake being a mile wide but only an inch deep, you know, there's only so many times you can swim around that lake before it gets boring. One thing that I did want to note, because I haven't been into Elite in the last week or so, have they sort of fixed now fully the NPC AI issue that they had? Because I know that they said that they'd patched it, but a lot of people still felt it was still way too high. And I know Shiv especially was having a few issues being interdicted in his cargo being stolen. Has that been fixed fully yet, do we know? I think, I, I for me, this is my thing. I have picked a spot where I'm comfortable, right? Okay. I've got this, I've got the system, I've got the, the, the high resource extractions uh, sites. 
that is my sweet spot. I can go there in my fabulously appointed Imperial Cutter and uh, hang out for about an hour and a half, two hours, and make about a million five an hour and just blowing up bad guy ships. Now I will tell you, when it says elite on the skill level, they are not fooling around. It takes a long time to wear down an elite Imperial Clipper because he's firing off shield boosters, he's hanging around in your six where you can't see him and can't hit him. He's really taking advantage of the flight assist uh, modes. I mean, it's 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 a it's tough to take down an elite pilot in a good sized ship that's that's well armed. So, by the same token, if you get a you know a, a competent or you know a, a, a that mid level pilot, it's sort of easy. I mean, I really do think that they took the curve and sort of curvied it. Uh, if it's a low-end guy, there. I think, yeah, technical terms there. Well, you know, that's why. That's, that's why I went into law. I have way with words and talking and stuff. So, uh, but that, but the the easier pilots are actually, I think, are easier now. The harder pilots are a lot harder, um, and I don't see that the rewards have been altered all that much. So you're doing a lot more quote work for about the same reward. But, you know, it's it, you've, you got to find your comfort spot. And I think that with the AI change, those comfort spots may have shrunk <laughs> quite a bit from where you were uh, where you were before. Yeah, I mean, it's never a bad thing to just switch it up a bit to keep people on their toes, because at least if nothing else, it will leave the game feeling fresher than it was before. Or more frustrating. I mean, I think Shiv is about ready to throw in the towel a couple times, but it really incentivizes you to either A, get better gear, or B, get better gameplay because all of a sudden you are not as cool as you once thought you were and isn't that really the idea behind an MMO level cap increase it's not just the people who are topped out at the max level that are dealing with this it's everybody in the game it's a game-wide thing maybe that's a bad design choice because you've made life harder for the people who are still quote leveling up even though there's no strict levels in elite but I think it's the way that Frontier has decided to go with it it's made the learning curve harder. It's made the earning curve harder. But I think that it just it just makes the gameplay a little more challenging for for everybody, not just the top end. But again, I don't really see that as too much of an issue because, l- like you said, if it if you switch the gameplay up for everybody, then yeah, you know, you may have gotten used to a pattern of okay, so I pick cargo up from A, I run it to B, I grab cargo X, and I drop that off to C, and then I go back to A and I repeat this, right. and you know. If you could just do that infinitely, whether you personally find that fun or not is not really part of the discussion. But like, much like in real life, you know, situations do change. You may do something mm-hmm. a million times over, and then something will come in and uh, as a variable and alter how that is, and you've got to adapt and adjust. And so, I think in order to add to the living universe feel of the whole thing, that yeah change like this should come along and it should introduce either new challenges in the form of just more difficult enemies if that's your thing uh for collecting bounties or just you know having to figure out new trading routes even yeah that's absolutely right i mean it was easy for me to figure out and adapt i think because in the system that i generally fly in there are like these tiered levels and there's a variety of different things you can do i tried a whole bunch of different stuff until I finally settled into this groove and thought, ah, this is good. This will work for me. It didn't take me very long to adapt to the new environment. But then again, I was farther along the learning curve and farther along the earning curve than maybe some other players are. I'm not a max level guy. Elliot's a lot closer to that sort of environment than I am. But he got his butt handed to him several times, and he was in a pretty tanky anaconda, the, you know, the big, big The ship. big one, yeah. Yeah. So he's he's. it's been a little bit of a rude awakening for him, and the last time I talked to him, he, he had parked his anaconda and had downgraded to back to a clipper you know a nicely tuned out clipper but it's a smaller more maneuverable ship because those are typically faring better against these new uh, ai bots these new ai combat bots that that before just posed no problem to a tanky anaconda but now they're hiding in your rear arcs where your weapons can't hit them they're wearing down your shields they're firing off shield boosters uh, they're ramming you at inopportune moments i mean it's just stuff that the AI wasn't doing before, and it's you have to adapt. Unfortunately, this doesn't seem to be a great time for space sim stability in the verse. While Elite is still cleaning up the mess from the AI revolution, Descent Underground is having engine trouble. The latest upgrade for the Unreal game engine has thrown a rock into the digging machines. The devs are basically finished with the new survival mode, but testing is on hold until they can resolve the issues with Unreal. 
Pixley and the others are on the case. Meanwhile, cockpit modeling is in progress to add more immersion to those with VR headsets. Soon you'll be able to see the exciting bulkhead behind your robot's camera. No worries though, for the lovers of the free-floating view, you'll have the option to turn the cockpits off. So yeah, the, the apparently uh, uh, the 4.1.22, something like that, uh, Unreal Update broke everything. Yeah. Lasers don't fire, missiles just hang there. It's a bad day. They've had a bad day. You know, we've talked about this in other games where you have engine updates and engine changes, which, you know, on your own implementation of that engine require additional time to work through. This is to be expected, I suppose, um, in, in every development, into every every uh, life a little rain must fall. But uh, at least they, hopefully they'll be able to get those ironed out and get, uh, get the show back on the road soon. Yeah, I mean, this is one thing that has always, like, in the back of my mind, worried me a little bit about Star Citizen with the amount of customizations they've done to the CryEngine because I feel with them it's possibly going to go one of two ways. If CryEngine release an upgrade, then either CIG would have taken the base and altered it so greatly that it doesn't even resemble CryEngine anymore and therefore will have no impact. But the other hand is that CryEngine could introduce a feature that then conflicts with everything that CIG have done and that could cause you know, really big issues. And considering they've done things like taking it from uh, 32-bit to 64-bit and, and so on, I just feel that there could be like this huge chain of dominoes. So, I mean, on the other hand, that there's nothing to say that they have to upgrade their main engines. Well, I'd, I'd be willing to bet that, that they're a completely different fork at this point. I mean, yeah. Well, what they should have done when Chris realized the scope of this project is they should have built their own engine. I mean, that's how CryEngine came about. I mean, they built Crisis and they needed an engine to, to create it. And so I, I just, I've always felt that, that the scope of this project, they just should have built their own engine for it. Shh, don't, don't say that too loud. <laughs> they might hear you. Shh. Yes. Why? I mean, so what if it's another year or two, really, at this point? <laughs> they'll just keep having, they'll keep selling this useless pixelated uh, art. No, no. And, and, 2016, uh, man. It's happening. December 31st, 2359 and 59 seconds Pacific Standard Time, man. It's happening. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Plus thirty days or sixty days. Yeah, yeah I was going to say add, or ninety days. Add yeah. the CIG variable <laughs> buffer onto the end there. That's so. right. Put the buffer on it. Yeah. Just going back to the uh, thing about the Unreal upgrades, though. Um, they did say that they are like working on it, as we reported just there. But they are actually still really hopeful that they'll be able to get uh, the co-op multiplayer out um, by the time this show gets released. It'll be in the week that the show is released. So, hopefully, by the time you listen to this, it won't actually be an issue anymore and the engine will be out and everybody can play and just blow the living bejesus out of each other like they always used to this time in co-op right and this will be a persistent like a persistent team versus the ai right you'll be able to go to the lobby and yeah 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 that's what i'm yeah that's what i was really hoping for you know get the guard frequency team together and kind of yes there you go i'm down for that but now it's time for news we didn't use Jump Point magazine for June is available for Star Citizen subscribers. And the work on the physics engine is complete and land bases are being fleshed out in Infinity Battlescape. And that's about it. There wasn't a whole lot of news this week from the space symbol that we didn't use. Well, that's okay. That's never really stopped us from talking for, you know, really minutes and minutes on end. Hours, you know, even. But, yeah. You know. We can reach back uh, into the uh, into our minds to come up with random topics come out of nowhere, or we can try to keep current based on some changes to the TOS from Star Citizen. You know, since the dawn of persistent online gaming, the gray market has existed. The out-of-game store for in-game items that allows the complete newbie to show up with a maxed-out, kitted-out character that other players had to spend dozens and dozens of hours to acquire. This is uh, after the new player has probably spent upwards of $100 on the virtual items. Some insist that the gray market represents a horrible cancer that needs to be eradicated and demand the game designers themselves step up. Others insist that they aren't really hurting anything and are the only way for casual players with limited time to remain competitive in online arenas. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us gray markets. Discussion with their significant others has revealed that Jeff spends a great deal of time gaming, and she would really like him to come out to dinner at some point, whereas Lennon is spending a suspicious amount of money 
but with nothing physical to show for it. So, Jeff will go first. Jeff, please tell us why the gray markets are the root of all in-game evil. Oh, Tony, 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 you ignorant slut. The fact is, is that these, these items are game changers and for a lot of people. And because of that, casual players or even, you know, no money spent, long-time players like myself that spend hours trying to acquire these items are just put aside by the fact that somebody can go out and buy them. Makes no sense. I, I realize that it's just a game and that people, they need to play the way they need to play, but it really breaks the immersion, the feel, and the scope of, of the game. All right, thank you. Lennon, you reply. Tony, you upright bag of mostly water. The grain market does actually hold a lot of value, even though it may not be immediately obvious. For example, if somebody comes along to a game after a major feature has launched, or uh, in the case of something like Star Citizen, where the pre-order rewards are actually of value and of decent and are what are used to hook people in, hooking them in after the launch when those pre-order rewards aren't available is only an option to be done on the grey market. This will actually drag in more people than you're able to do officially through the main game channel. Jeff, your response to that? Well, you should have got in on the on the pre-launch or on the whatever item it was that you missed. I mean, we did. We spent the money. We spent the money to, to get into that game early or to do that special uh, special event. Why should you come along after the fact and and make my hard-earned or my acceptance of the game that much valueless? All right, Lennon, and you have the final word. Tony, you lovely, lovely person. It may be that you got in on the pre-order and you were able to purchase it, but I may not have even heard of the game up until that point. And just because a company has bad advertising, I don't feel that that's any reason why I should be penalised and not be able to get the same opportunities to get those items that everybody else had to begin with. Also, you bring up a good point about spending the money. If you've acquired these in-game items and you no longer need them, why not view it as an investment and actually just sell the items on? You'd do the same with a car, you'd do the same with a laptop, why should it be any different for an in-game item all right a rousing debate gentlemen well well played well played there's two sides to this coin although i do have to kind of come down on jeff's side i think for the most part i mean for the one thing gamer uh, game companies design their their systems around the idea of enforced scarcity right it's artificial scarcity. With a click of a mouse button, they could copy the super uber gigantic laser boom gun, one for every player, and just drop it in your account. Everybody could have one. But oh no, no, they gate it, and they make it rare, and they make it tough to get, and all that kind of stuff. If you can short-circuit that by just paying money and giving someone access to the account that actually earned it, you're kind of foiling the game design itself and the whole idea of, of that artificial scarcity. On the other hand, a lot of what it is is sour grapes on the part of game companies because sometimes they misprice stuff. Like they miss out on cash they could have had because of they, you know, they just said, well, we want to be fair to everybody and we don't want it to be a pay-to-win game. And you know, for marketing reasons, they don't sell these things, but they put them behind time gates or effort gates. So some of it's sour grapes. I do see that. But on, on the whole, I think I ought to come down on, on, on Jeff's point of view, is that it just it, it breaks the whole idea of a game design and artificial scarcity. Well, and, and my, my three favorite words, bound to account. I mean, really, when, yeah. when an item comes like that, I, I, you know, such scarcity or rarity, most of the game, and most of it's bound to account anyway. So you rarely see that kind of item on the gray market. However, but the account could go on the gray market. Sure, but I think that's a whole different debate topic. No, I think that's that's that that goes right to this. I mean, we saw a little bit, you know, our, our common standard here, Star Trek Online. You know, people with star bases, right? You get the the uh, the super administrator control over the star base, and you boot everybody in the fleet, and you change the handle name, and then you sell that hand you sell that handle that has the star base control for real world money on some sleazy website somewhere. I mean, that's a thing that can happen. I don't think it's right. Uh, I don't think that's right either. But that's that's a very extreme case. I'm sure Lennon does, but, you know, I don't think that's right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm I'm actually, well, mm, see, now this is where, for me, the morality kind of gets a bit murky and um, Uh, uh, don't say anything to incriminate yourself, Lennon. (laughs) No, it's fine. (laughs) I, I will say that I think that 
the traditional like gold farming that side of it selling currency is destructive because currency can be generated ad infinitum in games usually like you said it's this whole artificial scarcity thing if you can just generate currency by killing mobs and killing mobs and killing mobs and killing mobs and then you can sell that for real world money and then somebody can just come along and buy an artificially huge amount of it that will upset the in-game economy and the in-game balance and i think that uh when it comes to gold farming that that's a bad thing i'm the opposite of that and, I, and i'll tell you why i used to be on that side of you but I, I will take a game that I've been playing for years, and that's and that's well. This game has gone on so long that that buying some of these. I, I mean, we're talking the old stuff, and the and yeah. you know, you know, some of these players have got uh, after playing. You know, I've played on and off. I mean, some of these guys have been playing like forever and got billions in their accounts. There's no way to compete with them. So the only way you can compete with them is is after all this time has passed is to buy gold off the gray market. However, Blizzard screwed that up with this WoW token stuff that they've got going on now. So even that's not impossible to do. Yeah, I mean, I can I can certainly see it in, in the instance where something like WoW, where the game has been in existence and people have just naturally hoarded stupid amounts of money. But uh, just talking like a game that's only been around a couple of years, you know, you could really upset the balance the economy on the other hand things that are artificially scarce like uh, lifetime insurance on ships in star citizen you know if somebody isn't able to get one of those ships and somebody has one of those ships and doesn't actually require it anymore then yeah why not facilitate a transaction i mean they kind of sort of allow it with gifting at the moment what they don't like which comes back to tony's point about sour grapes is that the possibility that somebody is making a profit on that item and that's where the morality side of it breaks down because i know otherwise if you do encourage that type of behavior what you'll end up doing is as soon as a ship goes on sale in a limited amount all these people that have loads of disposable income will just rush out and just buy every single item that they possibly can and then sell it on at a profit knowing that it's artificially scarce and knowing that nobody would have any other choice other than to come through them so yeah i'm, I'm kind of really on the fence about a lot a lot of it but gold farming is one thing i'm definitely against well one thing I, i'm hoping that they'll allow is the uh is fair trading you know if i've got a ship that i'm not using anymore that somebody really wants and they've got something that i really want you know that we can exchange that with with some kind of you know compensation or whatever i i, I really don't want to buy it off the gray market because you know, I paid a lot for my ships, uh, and nor do I want to sell it. I'm not looking for real-world money, but, but I think, uh, a, uh, you know, transferring ownership of ships that you already have within the game could be something like uh, possible. Well, and they're suppo- that's supposed to be able to happen, right? I mean, you should be able to do like a used car lot sort of a thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that part of kind of the gameplay? Is that a constellation is just a constellation. It's, you know, once you strip out the special lasers and all that other kind of stuff, it's just a Connie. Yeah, unless you want the variance. Right, but I mean, even so, an Andromeda is an Andromeda. Right. Right? I mean, you should be able to just transfer the hull, shouldn't you? I mean, is there anything special about those ships that would make it, that would prevent you from being able to transfer it? And let's let's take that a step further. If I've got the awesome gun that I only got because I traveled to the special system and got the special contact with the criminal syndicate or whatever, why shouldn't I be able to sell that in-game for in-game currency? And if I'm able to do that, why couldn't, or, you know, what's right, to stop somebody right. why, why, from... Why couldn't, you, why couldn't you do a trade like that? Yeah, and, and well, or what's to stop somebody from saying, I'll sell it to you for one UEC, but I'm going to need a $300 PayPal transfer to this email address. What's to stop that from happening? Nothing, really. Nothing. You're absolutely right. I mean, you, you yeah. could, there's a way to circumvent the system. Always. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, the amount the amount of monitoring it's going to take for any system that's going to facilitate an in-game trading scheme without a sort of bound to account mechanical you're talking about, Jeff, it, it would just be undoable. I mean, you couldn't do it. It would be you'd be you'd be have to staff up to the levels of like you know uh, you know real-world regulatory agencies like the SEC. Well, and or that, and and you just hit the 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 word right on the head because the whole idea of Chris's universe was to emulate the real world, right? I mean, that's right. what the persistent universe is about, is an emulation of, of, of the real world, living in space. So you really can't have bound to account uh, items. You can't. Yeah, not without, without, without some sort of 
gameplay altering, you know, mechanic in there that definitely would break my immersion. You know, I mean, that there's no real reason why that criminal syndicate guy who sold me the spiffy laser gun would need to embed my retinal print or my thumbprint or whatever into letting the laser work. Right. He's like, there you go, man. You, you know, you, you, you did the jobs for me and you, you got it. And, uh, and you know, this, this gun's yours now. You know, don't give it to the cops. If, if I find out you've given it to the cops, I'm going to come after you. Okay, well, there's an in-game consequence for selling it on. That's fine. But account bans and all that kind of stuff, I don't I don't see that being a real a real viable option. Now, you could do something like transfer fees or, or trading fees sure. or, you know, some... Tax it. Yeah, taxes. Taxes, sure. yeah. That's fine. I think that, that would be actually pretty awesome. But <laughs> of course you would. You're again, a lawyer. Well, of course I do. Yeah. I mean, uh, who was Kurt Vonnegut? Uh, one of his books said, uh, "The successful lawyer is the one who can smell when a large pile of money is about to change hands and put himself in the middle of it." <laughs> I think it, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to that effect. But that's the idea: is that that's a way. To, it's an in-game way of, of regulating that, making it expensive in terms of UEC to transfer like that one. You know, like I was that hypothetical I was using earlier here. I'll sell it to you for one UEC in a $300 PayPal transaction. Well, but again, the, the workaround there is you just go to a gold farmer and buy 10 bucks worth of gold farmed UEC to facilitate that. I mean, saying you're against something or saying that it's prohibited, I guess, is a is a way to justify banning or, or punishing the most egregious violators of this thing. But I, I can't help but think that you're going to wait for somebody to do something egregious and go, ah, you know, you're making too much money off of this and we should have been making that money. We should have been selling this guy $300 ships, but instead you're selling him $250 ships and we can't have that. You know, and then, and then ban the guy. It just, you know, unless you're going to do things like Star Trek Online and have strict account bound items, then it, I don't see it working too well. Well, now you know our thoughts on it. We want to hear yours. So this week's community question. Do gray markets provide a needed outlet for casual gamers to get the edge they don't have time to acquire? Or are they just greedy outlets run by the people who are ruining the games for everyone else? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say when he bakes a cake, the spoon licks him clean. And he's the only person to roll a natural 21 on a d20. But all he knows, he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Do we need a more advanced, genuinely difficult AI controlling NPCs in our MMO verses? Or should the NPCs always be the low bar for combat? Your thoughts, now. Sean Newboy writes in to say, Excellent show, love the debate. There should be both types of enemies in a persistent type game, both cannon fodder and high-end AIs. I personally would love to see both from the starter areas onward. H. Allen writes in and says, Thanks for the info, boys. As for my listener feedback, AI NPCs should not be impossible to defeat in any arena. Players should always be able to locate, within a reasonable time, the AI's Achilles heel and give that plug a good hard tug. With great AI comes great responsibilities, just ask Uncle Ben. That means AI needs balance just like any other game component. Rent-a-spoon writes in and says, I hate easy cannon fodder. Difficult AIs always get my heart racing. I would love to see the end of the world boundaries and no-fly zones being patrolled by almost undefeatable AI, but the death should not happen as a one-shot, one-kill, more a hard-to-shake-off-my-tail AI. I would also like to see challenging AI in certain areas where the risk-reward might be worth running and dodging through those areas. For example, if you have cargo on board, you can take a safe route and lose your early delivery bonus, or you could take the unsafe route where you risk your ship, life, and cargo, being chased by clever AI and surviving with 2% of my ship left. will always get my heart racing as opposed to blowing up swarms of easy-to-kill AI. I'm actually disappointed Elite will lose the crazy AI. Krell says, In my opinion, we should not be able to mow down enemies left and right with minimal risk. Yes, we as the players are the heroes of the universe, but when that's taken to illogical extremes, it breaks suspension of disbelief. And while that's fine and even perfect for some types of games, it's not a good fit for a game promoted as a universe simulator. 
I would also prefer not to distinguish between NPCs and mobs, uh, hirelings versus enemies. I understand where the sentiment is coming from, but I just disagree with it. For example, EVE, and more specifically its missions, are a perfect example of how to do it wrong. You can fly into your mission in the right ship and kill many dozens of enemy ships, absolutely ridiculous numbers, without breaking a sweat and without ever once being in danger. The NPCs are too stupid to see that they can't kill you, so they fly into the bug zapper and die one by one while you take a nap, eat a sandwich, catch up on some Netflix. This is not good game design. Instead, I would rather see the average NPC's skill set around two-thirds to three quarters of the average player's skill with a fair amount of variation, say down to half as good or up to 125% as good as the average player in normal gameplay, and perhaps quite a bit higher in very rare cases, for example a mission to kill the pirate king. This should apply to both NPCs we fight and the NPCs we hire. This game world is supposed to be as much simulated reality as possible. At its core that concept is simply incompatible with the big damn heroes philosophy of common game design. Ken from Chicago says, What if Star Citizen summed a ship speed, agility, weapon damage, armor, and hull strength for a single combat rating or CR? So you compare your CR to an NPC's CR and you get a quick estimate of if you want to tangle with them. Groups could have a group CR. Color code would be black, don't even bother, red, real tough, orange, hard, yellow, eh, you got a 50-50 chance, green, weak, blue, easy, gray, eh, come on, seriously, this is too easy, you don't get any XP for this. Ships could have a standard CR detected by quick scans. Deep scans reveal add-ons that boost or lower that CR. Now you've added value and gameplay to monitor duty, especially if deep scans reveal your own location and moving lowers accuracy of scans. T-Baller writes in and says, I like to see a balanced curve of difficulty for NPCs and for it to be well communicated the difficulty of the NPCs. That way, a player can choose their difficulty and then the game rewards them appropriately. Harder AI equals greater reward. I want to choose what I want to challenge from the game, basically. And Hokusai says, kind of in contrast to Krell, EVE seems to do this pretty well. System security, along with escalating NPC engagements, make the situation pretty straightforward. Expect trouble if flying through null or wormhole space. Killer NPCs never attack in high security. Anyway, from listening to the podcast, I'm glad I haven't dipped into ED since the update. It sounds murderous. The elite community must be up in arms about it. Some of them, some of them are. You just have to, you know, especially if you got it. If you had a groove... And that groove was well-worn groove, and you're thrown out of it? Yeah, there's some people who are upset. But improvise, adapt, and overcome, my friends. It's words to live by. The idea of a combat rating is interesting, and I think that, again, Elite has done a relatively good job of it. But I want to point out T-Baller's statement that you got to scale those rewards. You know, if you're going to take on an Elite and take four or five minutes to burn down one ship, I better get a pretty good bump on the cash payout on that. To me, it doesn't seem like that's happening on the elite side. When you have that really high AI level is not paying off in the credit balance. But that's just my humble opinion. I'd also like to comment uh, earlier, I'm not exactly sure who said that we were heroes of the galaxy. Uh, in, In games like Elite and Star Citizen, I don't see us as heroes of the galaxy. I know other games place you as this, you know, ultimate champion, you know, you're one among the, the millions, but in games like Elite and Star Citizen, I see us as being part of the universe, a regular Joe. You know, you're just trying to make your living and make your way through the galaxy of things. It's really hard to balance the NPCs that you come up across are going to match you as far as the, all the work that you've done. I mean, you know, you're going out and making trade runs and getting through and buying better weapons, better haul, better, you know, this and that and the other thing. I don't see that when an uh, NPC spawns in that they should just, you know, match me gear for gear. It breaks my immersion. Mm. I don't know. I'm kind of... AI is always one of those really tricky things because I think that no matter how good the AI is, you will always be able to spot patterns and there's only a finite number of ways the AI can move. So even challenging AI is 
something that can only go so far and eventually the only way that you can really do it is to ramp it up and match it gear for gear uh, so it's kind of a bit of a mix personally I'm all all in favor of strong AI I think that the universe should be a dark and dangerous place and stepping out of your comfort boundaries should really have that reinforced by just exactly how dangerous it would be you know a, a lone pilot out in the universe would easily get swarmed by five or six pirates so that would then naturally encourage grouping and I kind of like that idea in a multiplayer game at the same yeah, time but i hate the, being uh, forced into groups because you know most of the time my friends aren't on and the pugs that you usually get you know are just stupid <laughs> you know i'm sorry yeah I, well I'm, it's true yeah i mean I, and i'm not talking about our our listeners because most of them are intelligent because they listen to the show anyways but uh <laughs> That's right, audience pandering. It's one of our specialties here at Guard Frequency. We do that. But, uh, you know, really, I, I hate being forced into groups and games. If you can't solo any situation, that, should, that situation shouldn't be there. I agree. I mean, I think that I am pleased with the way Elite's done it. But again, I'm pretty far along the curve. I, a new person joining in probably would get overwhelmed and, and could get very easily get frustrated. You know... I'm one of those working-class Joes in an Imperial cutter with a size 8 shield. You know, I'm a regular guy, like everyone. Put my pants on one leg at a time in a big fancy ship that doesn't ever get blown up because I can afford a giant shield and shield boosters. But that is because I've put in so much time with it, and because I have adapted to the new AI system, and because I have taken the time to figure it out. If you are expecting gameplay, like slicing through mobs, you're going to be disappointed and lead and probably eventually in star citizen too because it's just not set up that way it's not part of the core design but plenty of games are and you just have to approach the game with that idea the game has to match your philosophy of what a good time is and you just have to know that going in let's move on to feedback from that other guy he says i suppose i should just jump right in okay he goes on to say i think tony jumped the gun when he stated there is a potential of cash cowing uec with this insurance mechanic that's now in 2.4 my feeling is that CIG isn't responsible for other people's impulsiveness. The only time Tony would or should have a concern is if CIG requires you to only buy UEC to expedite the insurance claim. I know that Lennon and Jeff already made the point that you can earn credits in-game, but I want to reiterate this because even if you have a set period of time to play the game, you can always look for jobs or missions to do on someone else's ship and earn back the UEC to get your ship faster or just get your ship back if that mission task takes longer time to complete. Next point, I can't remember if Jeff or Lennon voiced a concern about pulling out of E3 and or ships exteriors interiors not being done, and those being an indication that Squadron 42 will not release by the end of the year. For the latter, my argument towards that assertion would be that the Retribution Javelin Bengal probably won't need the full interior done for Episode 1, even if you have to EVA to a derelict as they all would have to model what is needed for that mission. Although I predict that the end of Squadron 42 Episode 1 will land on a Bengal and fade to black. The former should have nothing to do with a Squadron 42 release. The PC Gamer event isn't something to write home about. If you watch the previous few PC Gamer events at E3, you know the only thing that happens is devs come on stage to talk about their game or their technology and then show some other gameplay or short cinematic, uh, and that's it. Most game press sites practically cover every major development that CIG achieves, so they would be pretty much preaching to the choir. I would get more worried if they pulled out of Gamescom than pulling out of E3, and I think people perpetuating this are simply dramatizing the issue. And Splicepoint says, My port side thrusters won't stop firing. Salute, salute. Yeah, so the other guy wrote in quite a bit there. I just wanted to quickly bring up two things about it. The first one about the um, insurance and looking for jobs on other ships and missions to earn back UEC. What I largely feel this comes down to, though, is that if, you know, you wanted to log in and you wanted to play in your ship and your ship gets taken away from you, you're not going to, or at least, you know, I, I can see this being a mindset of some people, not going to go and find other things to do in the game. It's just simply, you know, if you can't play the game the way that you want to play, you're just going to log off and not do it and then come back in a week when your ship is there or whatever but having a mechanic that would encourage that behavior i just think is a bad decision and on the e3 pc gamer side of things i would mostly agree that they would be preaching to the choir at the same time though pulling out is totally different than just not sending the main guy you know they, I, I agree there's no reason chris needs to be there but why not send along sandy with some tech demos and a video you know the fact that they wouldn't even do that is what worries me not the fact that they pulled out of the event itself if that makes sense 
yeah, I, uh, I'm no stranger to being told I'm wrong on this show. I mean, or ignorant or, you know, my proclivities questioned on a regular basis. But uh, we did talk uh, pretty extensively about the idea of, you know, immediate cash and the impulse of I got to go fly my ship now versus I'm walking away and just not going to do it anymore. I think that that's the, the candy crush. I just need to play one more game thing. I think that's a, that's kind of a low blow for a game design like this is supposed to be to employ. I, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of that. And on the other deal about the E3, well, we talked pretty extensively about how the interior of the Bengal is not a game breaker for Squadron 42. That's not a thing that we anticipate them going to you know, needing a lot of to in order to get the game shipped. But it, it does seem to be you know a little late date to be mashing up the exteriors of a ship that you know, the Bengal was the demo ship in 2012. I guess it gets comes to, in Star Citizen, not so much in Elite, but in Star Citizen, we are a search and rescue organization, and and here here's what I see as happening in Star Citizen. I expect that I'll spend a lot of time in my rescue cutlass. And I'll be going on missions to rescue a lot of people. Now, I do have combat ships. And I have a ship that can either explore or run cargo or, or run, you know, medical facilities. So I expect my gameplay to be unlike Elite Dangerous or Star Trek Online or other space sims that exist out there. I really don't see me getting into a lot of real heavy combat action where worried about my ship being blown up i got other ships i mean i you know if my stalker goes away i can get in my gladius if my yep. gladius goes away i can get into my you know hornet that's a good point we didn't talk about that as a lot of people are going to have multiple ships right so we didn't we didn't cover that and this week's community question do gray markets provide the needed outlet for casual gamers to get the edge that they don't have time to acquire or are they just greedy outlets run by people who are ruining the game for everybody else let us know your thoughts send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com so how was the show all bought and purchased from the official in-game store or a little seedy and found on the darker corners of ebay either way let us know Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, you can shoot an email to squawk at GuardFrequency.com. Or you can use the contact form on our website and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 125 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 126 on June 28th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our show over on our website, GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.GuardFrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you can always join us live over at GuardFrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. Do you like what we do? Do you want to come and help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and we hope that you consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, and our artist, Ben Saunders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pintad, and Kin Shadow, our producer, Jeff Grant, and of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust.
tweaks to the engineers and a call for tourist destinations as a passenger gameplay coming in Elite Dangerous 2.2, and a quick report on trouble from the land down under in Descent Underground. Next, we debate grey markets, and finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That didn't come out right. Oh, what didn't? The second part. I kept. I tried to stop you twice. I guess you get ahead of steam. Yeah, sorry. You don't use one even when it's like you're really quiet to me. I will turn you guys up. Apologies. Tweaks to the engineers and a call for tourist destinations as a passenger gameplay coming in Elite Dangerous 2.2. As passenger gameplay coming in. All right. Not a passenger. Will come. Or comes. Oh, I see. I see. Or passenger gameplay is coming. That would work too. You know, yeah, we sorry, have it a was, variety of different grammatical solutions. For yeah, this. yeah. So it, it was the phrase tourist destinations as passenger is what wasn't passing, not passenger gameplay. No, you were saying a passenger. Yeah, yes, I know, but I'm saying tourist destinations as passenger doesn't make sense. But that's fine. I will, I will read it as written. Note that there has been a warning off of the RSI horn, horn page. What about people like me that generally hold two conflicting opinions at the same time? Well, there's always an exception to the rule, and it's usually always you. I, okay, you know, just okay. spotting well, a trend as here. As long as we're clear. <laughs> as long as we're clear on that. Okay, good. Any thoughts, Jeff? Oh no, he's dead. I was going to say, have we lost Jeff? We've finally killed him. No, I'm Or his still mic over. is muted. There he is. Okay, there he is. We're, the, the worst thing about that, Jeff, is that I was afraid we were going to have to stop calling you the immortal. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did not want to do that. That's branding for the show, man. Uh-huh. Can't do that. Meanwhile, cockpit mod... Hopefully not too no, arousing. I, well, yeah. I said rousing, oh, not a sorry. rousing. But where's your... Ah, gracious. You have to go to the gray market for that. Probably the red market. 